motherhood hard. Uh, hard. Yes. So there are a bunch, there's a bunch of people out here that are making excuses because they're a mother. And I would love to hear what you have to say to that. Excuses like what? I mean, the fact that, okay. So my wife, she's at the crib and we have a daughter coming. I mean, she, we have a daughter here and she's pregnant and she's taking care of the household and she got to deal with me and my stuff that I'll be having going on. It's hard. It's hard. My heart looks a little different than that. My heart is mom guilt because I work so much mm. and I got my village. Like when I say I got a village, I got a village. Mm. So my mom guilt is, are my kids going to know me? And when I say know me, they see me every day, right? My kids see me every day when I'm home, but there's a different kind of connection when you are always around your children. I am not always around mm. my children. And most people who are super busy like me won't have these kind of hard conversations, but it's the truth. So I have to really like weigh the odds. Like I'm working this hard now so that one day I could be butt naked on the beach with my kids. <laughs> okay. Drinking a Mata and they drinking a coconut water. Right. Or I'm going to stay home with my kids and will I still be successful? Yes. But the life that I want to create for them so that they don't have to struggle or say, mama should have, could have, would have mama. You should have. I don't want that for my children. Yeah. The life that I'm creating for them is a life that they will never have to want for anything yeah. that they can create their own future based on the foundation that I built. Yeah. But there's some guilt that comes with that because my supportive village always steps in and support, but I'm always on the road. I'm going on tour. I'm going to be gone for the whole month. So my kids got to fly in and come see me. And I want them to understand that mommy is present and I have to learn how to get over that guilt. And I'm talking to a lot of CEO mompreneurs yeah. who are in the same position as me. You ain't got to feel guilty because what you're doing is you're working hard to provide and afford them a better life. And that's what I'm doing. So am I getting over that hump? Yes. Is it easy? Absolutely mm. not. <laughs> but the moments that I get to spend with my children, like they get all of me mm. and like they get tired of me. Yeah. They get all of me. Like I'm kissing everybody right, right, all right. day, every day. Um, but it's not easy, but it's so worth it. I, I love my babies. I would imagine um, like when, when you're there, you're present. Cause there are a lot of people that are around the kids all day, but you're not, pre you're not even present. You're there. But you're always on your phone because your kids are always there. Did your kids increase your hustle? Like, okay, so I no, feel like. That's a good question. I'm going to tell you why I know because my hustle was already on a thousand. Right? <laughs> I thought having kids was going to make me go harder. Yeah. No, like I've been going hard. Yeah. Like it just made me more consistent. Yeah. If anything, kids made me softer. Yeah, like, I think, I, 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 think yeah. I lost, I think I lost some of my hustle because I just be wanting to be home. Really? And that is a. Yeah, I mean, this is something I really struggle with. Do I go hard and like really build a dream so that later they'll be able to live this life that I want to design for them? Um, but I literally, I think my my daughter being born made me somewhat lazy because I'd be like, man, I'm going home. I'm not just <laughs> hanging out with my baby. Okay. It was the um, the philosophy of be, do, and then have. Yeah. So I'm thinking about it and I, you know, I, I, I coach people and um, I have clients and your premises, I got to get 
people to believe that they are something more than themselves or to be something else, not just tell them what to do. Yeah. Most coaching programs are, I won't say most because I don't, I, I've not counted. So many coaching <laughs> programs, right? Many coaching programs only help people realize what they can't do. They don't, they don't help people become the person who can do the thing. So many coaching programs have way more failures than success stories because they're teaching the people what to do without teaching them how to become the person who can do it. The principle of high achievement is be, do, have, which means don't be, can't do, don't do, can't have. Be a little, do a little. Do oh, a little, whoa, 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 whoa. Be, hold on, say it again, say it again. Be, do, have. Yes. Don't be, can't do. Don't be, can't, can't be. be. Can't, can't do. do. Don't do, can't have. True. Right? Makes sense. Be a little, do a little. Do a little, have a little. Mm-hmm. Be a lot, do a lot. Do a lot, have a lot. So the foundational premise of the whole thing is the being. You're not called a human doing. You're not called a human having. You're called a human being. Why? Because the most important thing about you is who you are, be, be, who you be being, who you are becoming. The whole purpose of life is to be perpetually be becoming more until you die. That's the whole purpose of life, to be becoming more. So someone invests in a, my program, right? Right. My responsibility is to get them to become something else. Or not something else, but to become more. It, it, it's really, even more than to get them to become more, is to get them to acknowledge who they are and to get them to aspire to be who they can be. Mm. Right? Who we are... That's the value we have right now, but who we can become, that's the potential that we have right now. And the potential is the difference between who we are right now and who we can be. And so our job is to show people their potential and get them to move towards that potential. That's our job. That's your job as a coach. That's your job as a parent. That's a pastor's job. That's a teacher's job. That's a friend's job. It's a husband's job, a wife's job. To help, like all of us, we're supposed to help the people around us grow. As iron sharpeneth iron, so doth the, the man sharpen the countenance of his friends. That's my purpose, to help you become more, to help you become sharper. You help me become sharper. We help each other become better. That's that makes purpose. sense. Because I have a, a, like, well, I have, I have a course, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, well, first step is, you've got to check out the course. Now, the course is kind of like the step-by-step stuff sure. that you are supposed to do. Sure. And then three weeks later, you ask a question. I'm like, yeah, did, did you check out the course? They're like, no, I didn't watch the course. And then a coach would be inclined to say, hey, watch, watch the course. It's in there. Mm-hmm. But that's just, again, me telling people what to do, mm-hmm. not getting them to become the type of person who would actually go through the course. Yeah. So, and, 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 and the way you really help people become is you like, pe- people love stories, right? Mm-hmm. And they can relate to stories. So you could tell them either a historical or metaphorical story. Historical meaning something that you know has happened with someone or metaphorical, just a story about, it could be a story about a comic book character or something made up off of a television show. It could be off of a fairy tale, whatever, right? Metaphorical. So you tell them a story or metaphorical story that helps them see someone who desired the same transformation they desire and they went through the process of becoming. And then you tell them the story of somebody else who wanted the same thing they refuse to go through the process. You show them how each of those people ended up. One of those people could even be you. That's why, that's why personal testimonies are so powerful. Because to one, people that you tell your story to, they can see their story in your story. Mm-hmm. Plus, 
they think they're smarter than you and better than you and faster than you. So if you did it, psh, I know I'm going to do it. Shans did it. Psh, I know I got this. Right? That's how people think. They won't say it, but they'll think it. So the purpose of the story is to get them to see something. Right. The purpose of the story is to get them to feel what the transformation would feel like. Because when we listen to stories or we read stories or we watch stories, we do it vicariously. We put ourselves in the place of the person in the story. That's why when you watch a movie, I'm probably going to mess up movies for y'all, but that's okay. If you're making less than like 50,000 a month, you don't need to be watching TV anyway. So, <laughs> so, so, but I'm probably going to mess up movies for you. So if you watch a movie, you will see that movies have a very intentional and particular structure. So if you're watching a movie, what you'll find out is the main character of the movie, they will put that person, the hero, he's the person in the story, that, that you're going to want to become like, they will put that person in jeopardy within the first 10% of that movie. So if the movie's 90 minutes, in nine minutes, that person has a problem that shows up in the movie. Hmm. And then the movie is about their external journey and their internal journey, which oftentimes are in conflict with each other as they go through the movie. So you can see yourself in that. So you can see how the transformation they made inside created the transformation outside. And you can do the same thing. That's, that's how, like all good movies, one of the reasons they're called movies is because, not just because they're moving pictures, but because they're designed to move you. Dang, that's crazy because I'm thinking about paid in full. I'm like, yo, money making me. I mean, Ace, Ace, like he's, he's going through turmoil, right? In the beginning, he hates his job. And then there's an internal conflict. Right. And something happens and he's got he's to do something that seems impossible on the outside. But before that can happen, he's got to become a person that he's never been on the inside. And that's the same thing that happens with everybody. Where you get that stuff from? How you? <laughs> that's a that's a movie, right? Oh, that's how movies work. And then, and then they go through this transformational journey. And since I'm messing up movies for you, like spoiler alert, like I'm going to destroy movies for you for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. right? So, close. It's so important that black voices are represented in black media for so many different reasons. And the next generation of black. Uh, voices and influencers from Black Voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black Voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collections, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. And every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Smyrta to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. I listen and I'm enjoying these conversations that are for us, by us. Black representation, again, it hasn't always been uh, shared from our perspective. And black perspectives haven't been censored in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR. Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen to the Black Stories, Black Truths on NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park to the end of the movie, the external achievement thing that they're going for, it looks like it's not going to happen, period. The end, it looks like the movie's going to end and the hero's going to die and all of the stuff that goes with that. And then all of a sudden, something happens, some miraculous thing happens, and then, and then the music comes, and then they rise the same day. And so now you feel hope again. That's great. Give me I learned that. He described every movie that's ever made in three minutes. That's crazy. And I learned that from Michael Haig, who's the guy who created The Hero's Two Journeys. He's a, he's a movie consultant. He's a script consultant. He consults with like actors and script writers on their movies to make sure that they actually move people. Is it hard to date being a woman making multiple eight figures? Like that's... Because there's some people in careers, they make six figures and they having a hard time finding a man because they feel intimidated. But somebody of your status, is it tough? Or has it been? Because you've been up for a long time now. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it has been. It has been. You know, a lot of men, um, and I'm in a relationship now. So, okay. you know, it's different. So it's but easy. No, it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy because you got to remember, like, men are used to being, like, the man. Yeah. And... Depending on the type of man, you may not feel like not like so much the man when the woman wants to fly private to Paris or fly private to Bahamas. Right. And you can't pay for it, but she can. Depending on the man and his confidence, either yeah. he like, man, my girl doing, it, I'm grateful to be with her. Or he resents you. Just because I want to fly private and you can only fly afford first class, do that mean we don't go private no more? Mm. So it's about the confidence of the man. It's about the way the woman does it. Um, Do you and, have these conversations up front? Yeah. Like immediately, yes. like, listen, I'm yes. probably making more money than you. Yes. Let's talk about this. I didn't used to. I didn't used to in the beginning because I felt like that was kind of endearing. It was kind of like, I want to say endearing. Like I, abrasive kind of? Yeah, it was kind of like cocky. Yeah. But why waste time? Like, tell a person. And like, for me, I believe that if we together, I don't care where you are. As long as you are right and you, you got some ambition and some work ethic, yeah. you're going to be further along because of our connection anyway. So gotcha. be okay with wherever we at right now, but just know I, if I'm with you, I believe in you. We about to do some crazy stuff together because yeah. I believe in the power of the mastermind alliance. Absolutely. So we come together, we about to take off. So it doesn't bother me and and, and thank God for the first time. I think that he he's not insecure or intimidated. Good, good. Well, today we see the Giuseppe's and flying private and all the amazing things you're doing. But you weren't born this way. Like I and I, I heard a little bit of your story and the things you've gone through 
would have broken some people. And I want to talk about I want to talk about it because like you're you're so far away from where some people are right now. They say I can never be there. But I got to go back to the stormy when it all first started. Where do we get this ambition from? As far back as you can remember, where'd you get your ambition from? You know, I I have to say um, my first coach example, uh, role model inspiration was my mom. So my mom was a real big drug dealer. Like really? she was the, the girl. Yes. Your mom was a drug my dealer. My mother. She was the big, she was a drug dealer and she, my dad was working underneath her. What? <laughs> really? Yeah, my mom was a big old boss. Yeah, 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 for real. So like all the things people see for me is like, I took her hustle, her her illegal lifestyle and I, 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 I took it and I, I recreated it in a legal way. Yeah. So I learned a lot. My, I mean, I remember being as young as like 10 years old. My mom used to traffic her own drugs and I used to watch her pack it. Really? Yeah, like I remember being a kid. Like seriously. So rest she, in, she rest, like rest in, Hold on, rest in power, mom. I'm, I'm not talking bad about you, mom. I'm talking good about you, oh, all right? Sure. So yeah, my mom was a boss and she handled her own business. My mom, I remember being like nine years old and I never told nobody this. So this is really exclusive Hey, this is exclusive, exclusive. I never talked about this ever. I remember being nine years old, and my mom used to um, put, <laughs> my mom used to go in disguise, trafficking drugs. Mm. And her disguise was that she was a beautician, so she would get this big beauty bag, and she she buy the big old perms. Don't do this at home, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go to jail. <laughs> and she she. she this is not the how-to traffic yeah. drugs you workshop right now. You understand? <laughs> <laughs> but this this is what I remember. So remember, I'm not, uh, imagine being nine years old. And so I'm watching her wrap <clears throat> her drugs and saran wrap and put it in the perm so that you can't smell it. Mm. And I used to be like, oh my God, my mom going to jail. But I used to say this as a kid. She didn't know I was watching, but I saw everything. And um, so every time she'd go and come back with more money, I used to be like, this is a pretty good career. Mm-hmm. She gets to travel. She she never get caught. So I remember being young thinking, I may do this one day. Mm. For real. And then my mom That's ended up going to jail a lot. So as she would go to jail a lot, I'll be like, okay, this is the part I don't like. Because mm. she leaving yeah. her kids. She would leave us with friends that she thought was going to take care of us. Like, I remember being beaten with water holes. You know, to this day, I don't, I don't, I don't like the smell of beets. I don't like beets because I used to be, be, be living with one of my mom's friends while she was in prison and the lady would abuse us and abuse me and my yeah. brother. And yeah, it was, it was a lot. And so that's the part I didn't like. And then I ended up in foster care. Many people don't know. I, I lived in foster care for like two years. Wow. And then my older what brother came and got me. Um, we was about, I was about. Seven, seven, from about seven to like nine, mm-hmm. nine-ish. So, you know, I remember a lot. I chose not to like relive these things, but like talking about it with you is exciting to me. Like, mm-hmm. wow, girl, you came from all of that. So, sure. you know, watching my mom uh, sell drugs, watching my mom go in and out of prison. My, my whole family sold drugs. My brother sold drugs. My family was into drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, my uncle sold. That's what I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one day looking at my mom saying, I'm so inspired by you. And she was so excited. And I'm like, to not be like you. And I'll never forget that day. She wanted to beat my ass that day. I probably so, didn't get in that day. Okay. <laughs> Try to give me the edited version a little I, bit. A little bit. I, we'll edit it. But so you looked at your mom and said, you, I, you inspire me to yeah. not be like, not yes. want to be like you. Yes. Got it. My audience is predominantly kind of maybe like the Uber driver that has a dream, the job and a dream and they're trying to bridge that gap, yep. right? So I, I don't even do coaching, teaching people how to go from 1 million to 3 million. I could maybe teach, but it's not my audience, right? 
I want to know like what you see, because you come across a lot of like entrepreneurs on every level for the person that like wants to get something going. If you could attribute it, could, if you could attribute their success to three things, what would it be? So somebody that's uh, uh, maybe got a side hustle, is an Uber driver, making 1500 grand a year. Okay. Yeah. So, so look, you know, the, the first thing you got to do is you got to ask a very straight up question of yourself. Okay. Um, how much money you got in the bank? How much total net worth do you have right now? What's the most you've ever had before? Are you happy with those numbers? So if you said, I got 28 grand in a bank, most I've ever had is 35 grand, you know, no, I'm not happy with where I'm at, yeah. and I'm willing to change. So then you gotta ask yourself, okay, if you're not happy with the results today, that means the way you process issues doesn't produce the kind of results you want. So meaning your way of thinking got you to have the life that you have today, yeah. okay? So let's unpack your way of thinking. So I had a guy, a friend of mine, that I used to party with a lot, so he would call me when I was trying to make it, and he had no desire to want to make it. Yeah. This guy was a guy that wanted to stay home and take care of his kid, and his wife would work. I'm not that guy. Yeah. I'm a guy that likes to work, but that's the life he chose to live. I noticed every time he would call me, he was a downer, he was negative, he was annoying, but I felt it was part of my duty to be loyal to him because if I didn't, I'm being out of character and I felt guilt. That guilt got me to pick up the phone call of a friend that every single time <laughs> about everybody. So I would be on the phone with him for 45 minutes. He would bitch about his wife, he would bitch about his mom, he would bitch about his dad, he would bitch about his friends. He would literally about everything. And then I knew when he got off the phone, he's gonna call somebody else and he's gonna bitch about me. <laughs> I knew that for a fact that it's gonna be taking place, right? So finally one day I said, listen, do you realize every time you call me it's bad news? I said, tell me the last time you call me with good news. And he says, life isn't always good, man. People got problems. I said, I totally get it. But I want you to tell me the last time you called me with some good news. I said, moving forward, I don't want you to call me anymore. Really? Because you drain me. This is too much. So how do you train somebody that you don't want to talk to anymore and it's once a year? When they call, you let the phone ring twice, then you press end. You don't ignore it because they know maybe they missed a call. <laughs> and if you press end early, they think you're in bad reception area. But if you wait two seconds and then you press end, they know right. you press end. Okay. So then it's the I, science behind it, it. It's, there's a science behind it. So he realized, man, either I got to be in the hunt to go after my dreams or Pat's not going to want to talk to me. And honestly, I got over the whole guilt factor of that, yeah. that I don't want to call and don't want to talk to you if you're constantly a downer. A lot of times when you're an Uber driver, you're making 40, 50, $60,000 a year. People around you are making the same kind of money as well. It's not like the people around you are making a million, two million, five million, ten million. It's it's challenging for you to be friends with them because typically one of two things will happen. So let's just say you make a million a year and you're super disciplined, you're after it, you're crushing it in life, yeah. married, kids, everything you're doing, it's intentional. And I'm kind of like the guy we used to play basketball in high school, I was your point guard, right. you were the shooting guard. So we're boys. We party together, we got history, girlfriends, all that stuff, we have that memory, but now you're married, I'm still single. Okay, so say you call me on a Friday and I say, hey, Pat, what you got going on tonight? I said, nothing, he says, man, listen, uh, you got the Hawks are playing Milwaukee, mm -hmm. And Trey's going against Giannis. Man, I got courtside seats. You want to go? I said, hell yeah. Says, dude, I got tickets. Six seats. It's four grand a pop. Okay? Now, say I'm making 50. Right. And you're making a mil. Yeah. How am I going to receive that phone call when you call me? Let's process that together. One, 
I'm gonna say, you know I can't afford four grand for a yeah. ticket. Why are you calling me? Two, I'm gonna say, I know you can afford it. Why don't you pay for me? Three, I'm just gonna make up some story to say I'm busy. But regardless of what it is, you're losing. Yeah. Not me. One, I'm gonna uh, inject guilt in you on why are you calling me? Two, if you don't pay, I'm gonna inject guilt again. Three, I'm gonna have to make up some story not to go with you. Or if I spend the $4,000 to go with you, I shouldn't do it, because I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. So, so now you are afraid to call me next time. So there's only a matter, like let's just say, hey, Christmas, my wife, we wanna create family rituals. This Christmas, we wanna to go to Aspen, man. We got this cabin, five bedrooms. We want you to bring your family with you. I'm like, dude, I can't bring my family to, you know, let's split the private jet, let's go together, man. It's only 100 grand. <laughs> if you do 50, I do 50. This is not the fact that to you, your entire life is about money. Yeah. And to me, my life isn't about money. You've taken those things a little bit more. We came from the same hood. Yeah. We came from the same high school. We came from the same, we've seen the same drug, same coke, same ecstasy, yeah. same crack, same pot, same gang, same blood, crack, blood diamond, MS, doesn't matter. We've seen the same thing, yeah. right? You changed the way you think, I did not. All right, listen, every single week, every episode, you hear me talking about the morningmeetup.com. It's the community. Let me show you what's happening here. Every single morning, Monday through Friday, there's 400 plus people on a Zoom call, right? We're learning, we're talking, we're growing together, and this is you. There's all these people here. It's all these people in the morning meetup. Hundreds of people reading books, growing, we get together quarterly. It's amazing. And for some reason, you just keep looking at, just go to themorningmeetup.com and get in the circle. And then you'll be like way happier. Just themorningmeetup.com. Let's get back to the episode. So for people that are in that situation, let me tell you what I did this week, which was a very special thing. Did you see the interview I did with Antonio Brown? I don't know if you saw that or no, not. No, that, that was next on my YouTube yeah, list. So Antonio Brown and I are sitting together. If you've seen it, he gets upset. He says, you idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. He's sitting right here where you're sitting. Really? It's like four weeks ago. He was serious. And, yeah, he was serious. So it's a very, very complicated interview with AB. So I said, AB, you know, uh, uh, so he says, you didn't come from the streets. I came from the streets. I said, listen, my parents got a divorce twice. Divorced family. I came from the streets of LA. My dad was a cashier in Englewood, California. Mm. He said, where I grew up, Liberty City, people get shot at. I said, what do you think happens in Inglewood when my dad was working on that? Yeah. So I grew up in Iran, we got bombed on. He says, no, that's because you chose to join the army. I said, I didn't have a choice. I was born in Iran. <laughs> There's no choice there, right? But let me tell you what happened. He kept telling me about Liberty City. I said, no problem. You wanna create a paradigm shift for me? I'll accept it, AB. Here's what I'm gonna do. On Wednesday, I tell my guys, I wanna go to Liberty City. So I go to Liberty City and I go to find a Winn-Dixie in Liberty City. We go to that Winn-Dixie. Right across the street, there's a shooting, bodies on the ground. Cops are picking up the bodies. Up, and we that have this day. on video, you'll see it. That, not that day, that hour Sheesh. is what we're talking about. I go to Liberty City. The manager of Liberty City, I tell him I want to be a bagger. So I'm wearing the outfit of a bagger. I got the picture right here for you. <laughs> I'm dressed as a bagger at Liberty City Winn-Dixie is what I'm doing, okay? Mm. I get in there. And this is me right here. I get in there, that's me. I'm a bagger, Winn-Dixie, you'll see the whole video. <laughs> me and Heather, that's Heather. Heather's a cashier right. right there, and I'm doing the bagging stuff. Yeah. People are coming by. So say, so, hey, Yolanda, how you doing? Good. Is that your son? Yes, how old is he? Five months. 
Hey, mom, where's the diapers? Do we need diapers? Oh, we need diapers, but we can't afford it right now. What else the diapers? I go to aisle five, I pick up all the diapers, I bring them to them. For an hour on aisle number seven, I was paying everyone's groceries. Wow. I said, hey, Merry Christmas, 280. Merry Christmas, 320. And then people started realizing, go to aisle seven. And then aisle seven <laughs> became the popular line, right? right? But the entire time, one of the ladies at the end was 85 years old. She says, who are you? I said, I'm just a regular guy. She says, no, you're not. I said, I'm telling you, I'm just a regular guy. Why are you doing this? I said, why am I doing this? Yeah, I said, because you said you're 85. She says, yes. I said, okay. You were a teacher for 42 years, I was. I said, my dad did this for 15 years in Inglewood. He got held up three times. Every time he got held up, he would give him the Bible and he would talk about God with them. Mm. Eventually, they loved my dad because they tre he treated everybody like regular people. He wasn't afraid of gangsters and he didn't see the drug as a bad person. He just talked to the people and he would constantly figure out a way to get close to them. I said, my dad's 80, my dad's standing right there, my dad's standing right behind me wow. while he's watching me doing this, okay? Sometimes in life, we need a paradigm shift. If you're rich, you need to take your kids to a place to see how rough life can be. If you're poor, you need to go look at a $3 million home with yeah. a realtor. You need to go to a Ferrari dealership, you need to go to a land. I remember I used to go to a Ferrari dealership, David, and I would say, I played one game, here's what my game was, it's a sick game I would play. I'm broke, I got nothing on <laughs> my name, I'm so poor, it sucks. I'm about to go back in the army, but I would say, I want to find out if they believe I'm rich. I want to see if this Ferrari salesperson <laughs> believes I can afford to buy a Ferrari. So I would go to the dealership and I would walk around. You know what I would say? Man, the guy's ignored. He doesn't even say hi. Uh, you know why? He knows I can't afford it. He feels the vibe. Mm. So a year later, I would go back in. Still doesn't talk to me. A year later, I go back in. How are you? Good. I still can't afford it, but now he believes I can't afford it. That's all that matters. <laughs> so then I would go to Mulholland Drive and I, would, I went one time to look at this three and a half million dollar house, open house. Mm -hmm. I walk in, said, how you doing? Good. Um, what can you tell me about this property? And she leaves a customer and comes with me and spends 45 minutes showing the home. This is at a time that I can only probably buy a $700,000 property. But the fact that she thought and believed my aura, my energy was a character of somebody that could afford to buy a three and a half million dollar house. It made me believe that I'm on my way to be able to buy a three and a half million dollar house. So today I live in a 30 million dollar house. I don't, now it's a different story. But during that time, so if somebody that's driving the Uber car right now, you gotta create the other kind of paradigm shifts for you. Wow. You gotta go to a complete different environment to get yourself to say, why not me? Why not my family? Why can't I do something about it? So yeah. if you're doing Uber, you can no longer, I went on a diet of music. You know when people talking about hip hop? I don't know Lamar. The other day I was asking guys who are the top five rappers right now. One guy said Little Baby's number one, this person's number 10. They're going back and forth debating, right? You know who I know? I know up until 2003, <laughs> 2002, because Good. I went on a radio diet. Yeah. I've never, I've not turned on the radio since 2002. Wow. You tell me any R&B, if you want to play the game of R&B, I can tell you Rome. Mm -hmm. Every time I see you, face, it makes me, <laughs> I can sure. tell you Uncle Sam, I don't ever want to see you. I can go to Brian McKnight. Yeah. You know, I can go to, you know, Atlantics. I can go to As Yet. I can go to, you know, anything with Tupac, anything with Biggie. I can go to one of the greatest albums of all time by DMX. I can go Mo Murder by Bone Thugs and Harmony. I think it's number 16. I can go to, I can go to Blackstreet's album, tell you exactly which one is the baby making music to listen to. You know, don't leave me. I can go to <laughs> Usher, tell you my way. I can go to all of that stuff. But my timeline ends at 02. Yeah. Because if you're an Uber driver and you're serious about your dreams, 
go on a radio diet for one year. No radio for you this year, nothing. No radio, no Spotify. The only thing you listen to all year this year is audiobooks, if you're an Uber driver. All business, all intentional, all vision, all autobiographies, let people inspire you. Can the person that's listening to this right now making 50K a year saying, Pat, David, I'm ready, I'm committed, no problem. Can you go on a Spotify, on an iTunes, on a diet, nothing for an entire year. Now, when you work out, listen to your hip hop. Yeah. Fire yourself up. I listen to hit up up when, hit him up when I'm working out. I listen to my hip hop music when I'm working out because it's getting me going. But I went on a radio diet since O2 till today. I've never once listened to the radio. Oh. So those are the things that the exchanges people need to make to have a paradigm shift. And this is coming from a guy that had a 1.8 GPA in high school. Yeah. I'm not the guy that you know came out of a family that I'm supposed to be somebody. So that's what I would say to those. What's up, podcaster or soon-to-be podcaster? Get ready to level up your podcast game because the number one podcast education summit of the year is back, and it's bigger and better than ever. I'm talking about the second annual podcast summit happening on July 4th and 5th in the content creation capital of the world. You already know, ATL, baby. Atlanta, Georgia, going down July 4th and 5th, two full days. Imagine this. Imagine you getting all the game you need to take your voice, your brand, your business to the next level. Imagine getting all the insider tips. Imagine getting all the know-how that you've been craving for the last two, three, four years where you're talking about you're going to start a podcast, but you haven't yet because you don't have the tools, you don't have the tips, you don't have the tricks. I don't care if you're just starting or you're a seasoned pro. This summit has something for everyone. Picture you mastering the basics of setting up your podcast or unlocking the secrets to grow your brand on social media. We're not just talking about podcasting here. I'm talking about you want to build a long form catalog, whether it's skits, movies. We got people talking about script writing. This is an incredible experience. Imagine, imagine discovering the art of securing these lucrative sponsorship deals. And that's not all. Learn the ropes of creating a pitch deck that has sponsors knocking down your door. But wait, 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 wait. There's more. This isn't just a summit. This is an experience. I'm telling you. Rub shoulders with industry leaders. And you got to network with the other people that are doing what you're doing. All the guests that have ever been on Social Proof Podcast, I'm giving them a free ticket. And in exchange, they promise me that they're going to sit down and do short interviews with you. We got podcast booths for our VIP members where you can sit down, pull somebody to a side, and you're going to create content in real time. I know what you're thinking. How do I get a part of this podcasting paradise? Well, it's simple. All you have to do is head over to podcastsummit.com, grab your tickets now, but hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, because I have something really, really special for you. I got a little treat for my early birds, people who take action. The next 20 listeners and only 20 listeners who get your tickets right now, okay? I'm not only going to give you 20% off of whatever ticket level you get, you get 20% off, but if you use the promo code Big Deal. It'll take 20% off immediately, but I'm also going to allow the first 20 people to listen to this right now to be able to bring a friend, bring a teammate, bring a partner for absolutely free. You get general admission, they get general admission. You get VIP, they get VIP. Whatever ticket level you purchase, you get to bring a friend, partner, colleague, boo thing for absolutely free. Nothing extra required. My team's going to reach out to you, get your partner's name, or if you don't have the person you... No, right now, yet, you got time, no pressure, you get us back. But use that code big deal. That triggers to let us know you get to bring someone for free. So don't wait. 
Secure your spot at the number one podcast education summit in the country. Join us July 4th and 5th in Atlanta. Let's turn your podcast dreams into a reality, y'all. Head over to podcastsummit.com. Use promo code BIGDEAL at checkout and get your tickets now. Don't miss out on the opportunity to take your podcast to new heights. Take your brand to new heights. Take your business to new heights with this unprecedented offer, okay? I'll see you at the summit. and Don't forget to use promo code Big deal. Folks, what about the people who um, they they understand that mindset and they're uh, kind of like the information junkie, right? I mean, they're listening to every podcast or listening to you, but they don't actually do the stuff that you're saying do. Like, how, how do we break out of, okay, I know the right thing to do is to, to inject myself with good information, yeah. but I can't seem to do anything. You know, let's say these guys have kids, okay? Let's say you, uh, uh, I don't know anybody that I've met in my life who doesn't watch a movie with dreams, whether it's Rocky Four, whether it's Gladiator, the story of redemption, or even maybe a little bit of revenge, or you watch Stand, Lean On Me, I think by, uh, who's in it, Morgan Freeman, is that the one that I'm saying, Lean On Me, and you're seeing the pride of a teacher, principal that comes in that wants to change the culture of a place, or a pursuit of happiness, or you watch a, you know, any of these movies where somebody goes from being a nobody to having their dreams become a reality. I've watched Rocky IV a couple hundred times, right? Something happens to us because we for a split second believe one day I want that to happen to me. What if that happens to my life? Great. For the person that doesn't take any action and it's just kind of sitting there living a regular life, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than being forgotten about. When I was studying for my Series 7, I would go to Forest Lawn and I studied for my Series 7 right next to my grandma's plot. So she, her plot is right there. She had just passed away. So I'm studying my Dearborn Yellow Book and I'm going through this whole thing and I'm standing right there it's outside. And uh, when I would take a break and I would leave my stuff, I'd go for a walk. Mm. And I would walk past different plots and I would say, born 1962, dead 2001. Born 1954, dead 1988. Yeah, I don't know that name. Yeah, I don't know that name. Yeah, I don't know that name. Don't know that name. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, who is this guy? Wow, that's his plot? Mm. That's crazy. Interesting. Then I go to, and I would Google the names. Yep, I don't know that name. I don't know that name. I don't know that name. You know what it's like to go into a room and no one notices you? You ever seen a movie Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis? Yeah. Where he's thinking the kid is dead and then he realizes he's the one that's dead, that yeah. he's trying to play the role. It's a very weird twist. Imagine nobody notices you. Imagine you disappear. Imagine the day you die. 42 people show up to your funeral. A year later, maybe your mom shows up. Maybe one of your kids show up. Five years later, you're in heaven looking down saying, how come none of you guys are coming back to my plot anymore? What happened? Didn't I do something good with my life? How come you're not coming back to visit? For the person that's not doing anything with their lives, I tell you, there's a lot of different pains in life. You do not want to be the name of somebody that's forgotten, irrelevant, or left behind. It is the most depressing, difficult places to be, and you and I have a choice to do something about it. So unless if somebody listens to this, and they say, ah, I don't care about that, no problem. There's certain people that are like, you know what, I really don't care about that. But I think even half of the people that say, I don't really care about that, they do. 
Yeah. It's their cop-out. <laughs> it's the way to avoid the responsibility. It's the way to not have to do the work. It's the way to say, well, this is why I'm not winning, and I have an excuse, but you don't. This is why X, Y, Z, but almost everyone I know has some kind of dreams. It's on them to have the courage to want to change and do something about it. Yeah. But that part, you and I can't do nothing about, man. They got to do it. That's crazy, bro, because I did, I struggle with that. Because right. I definitely care what people think about me. Nah, nah. Because I know people don't even know what they really think about themselves. You Dang, know? that was hard. We can clap that. Golly, that's so hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't know, I don't know why I struggle with it. Like, I really care when people don't, like... Cause I feel like you're gonna leave here and you're gonna like tell somebody else and then they're gonna tell then I got a bad name and I hate that, bro. How was I? How would I get out no, of that? No, I mean, I you know, you? for me, because you know that's not a thing that I worry about. I think about people are who they are. You understand me? And one of my sayings is that's just they programming. People go react to how they react. Whatever is going to be in every level of success is going to create a new reaction in another person because you are someone else's environment. Right? And people react to environment. So for me, it's like what another person thinks of me don't matter. It, and my more so thought process is how good am I projecting who I really am to the world? How good am I projecting who I really, who am, I really to the world? am to the world? Because we create illusions all the time. We, it's like if I go home and sleep at night and I measure myself by the accomplishments of 19 keys, that's an illusion. That's me filtering myself through an accomplishment. So I think, and, and that makes me feel about myself a certain way. People get accomplishment all the time. You get a viral video. Hey, I'm now that person. Do you know me? Do you see me for that thing? Mm, Can you I see my it. value through this new illusion I've created? And you have people that just walk around living out their illusions. And you have to get to a point where, you know, you do project an image to the world so that the world can receive and interact with you a certain way. But you have to get to points where you graduate beyond your own illusions. You don't become them. That's what you give to the world so they can interact with you properly based on how you want to be received. That's how you design yourself. Gotcha. You understand me? So for me, I think about points of redesigning myself and I know how effective I am because I do listen to feedback. You understand me? I might listen. I, I digest feedback, whether it's in the comments, whether it's in a DM, whether it's a secondhand conversation about me, you know, whether it's comments on YouTube. Those are people telling me what my brand is. You understand mm. me? That's what branding is. It ain't what you marketing what you say about yourself. Branding see. is what other people say about you and what they go take it to other people. Got you. So I've been taking it personally instead of looking at it as feedback. Feedback. I do. So now this is what they think about you. Okay. Where do you want to pivot it? What do you want them to think about you? And what are you projecting to put those filters in people's mind? That's it's right. like you see a woman on Instagram and she's beautiful, right? Makeup, she might have a filter on, right? That image that you got of her is what made the first impression in your mind. So if you see her in person and she doesn't look like the image, the filter that you have, there's a disappointment. But then it also lends this credibility to where you keep seeing the image more than you see her for real. Mm. You understand me? Because that's what you fell in love with is the idea and the feeling of what this image produced for you. It's really interesting that in, in the Bible, there's this, uh, in Mark chapter 4, there's a story about a woman who had an issue of blood for how long? Do you remember? For uh, 12 years. 12 years. For 12, 12 years. years. And there was a girl, there was a girl who died who was 12, 12 years, years old. old. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus was, went to 
Jerusalem with his parents. And then they were going back home and they were gone for a day before they realized how, that he was gone. How old was he? 12. He was 12 years old. Why? Because every number has significance. One is the number of unity. Two is the number of separation. Three is the number of God. Four is the number of the earth. Oftentimes when we find principles on the earth that work, they often show up in fours. Four winds of the earth. When you four directions real, of the earth. Real quick. Pit in that real quick. Where do we get the, the number is the number of this? How uh, do we? Let's come back to that. Okay. Because where we're going is way more important than the answer to that question right now. But I'm Trust not going to forget. Don't forget. So, Don't forget. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 so four winds of the earth, four corners of the earth, four seasons on the earth, four directions on the earth, four is the number of the earth. A lot of times things that, that work on earth oftentimes show up in force. Not all the time, but mm-hmm. oftentimes, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've heard me talk about the four levels of value, the four levels of le- teaching for the four levels of learning. Well, so when children are born, they're out, they're undisciplined or out of control. They can't control anything. They can't control their bodily functions. They can't hold their head. You know, you pick up a baby, it's like, you got to hold their head or they're going to break their own neck, right? So, so, so the first four years, four times three is, uh, four times three is 12, right? So God set it up in such a way that if we, like, if we do this right, like, we can have some pretty amazing children by age 12 because, oh, I was telling you the numbers. So four is the number of the earth, five is the number of grace, six is the number of man, seven is the number of completion, eight is the number of abundance, infinity, eternity, and the new beginning, nine is the number of truth, 10 is the number of perfect order, 11 is the number of disorder, 12 is the number of perfect government. So the story about the woman with the issue of blood, it's showing us that this woman, this disease had perfect control over her life. Mm. right? Um, This girl that died at age 12 in Mark chapter four, she died when she was going to be bait mitzvahed and become an adult, Mm. right? So interestingly enough, there are four levels of parenting. One through four, training. The purpose of training is to teach the child to respond properly to authority. And one of the biggest problems our society has today, we have a bunch of people who are adults who've never been trained. So they don't know how to respond. They're out of control. Mm. They're still out of control. Age five, six, seven, and eight. Y'all getting this? Y'all with me? (laughs) Age five, six, seven, and eight is teaching. The purpose of teaching is to teach the children to reason properly with truth. I, I believe that the hardest phase of parenting is the teaching phase. Training, that's easy. You just tell them to do it and they have to obey you immediately and completely or they, they suffer the consequences, right? Which might be a spanking. It might be you got to go to your room. It might be whatever, but you suffer the consequences. So then age five, six, seven, and eight, you teach them. You teach them the reasons behind all the rules. Why? Because you don't just want people who only respond to truth. You want people who have the, I mean, who only respond to authority. You want people who have the ability to reason with truth. So you teach them. And then age 9, 10, 11, and 12, you transition them. You give them the ability to make decisions with your supervision. What are we going to eat for supper tonight? Okay, we're going to eat this. Okay, let's go in the kitchen and make it. You go out to dinner. What are we going to order? You have the, you have the nine-year-old order for everybody. You show them how to calculate the tip. You teach them how to do all these things. And what you're doing is you're transitioning these skills, life skills to your children, age 9, 10, 11, and 12. 13 and beyond, you can trust them as an adult. And in Hebrew culture, a child becomes bar mitzvah or bait mitzvah at age 12 or 13 because the word bar means son, mitzvah means law. You become a son of law. What does that mean? That means now you're responsible to God for yourself as an adult. Mm. And so... 
if we could take our coaching programs and make the first phase of our coaching program training, we're gonna, I'm going to train you. I'm going to make the second part of my coaching program teaching. Now you're going to understand why the why is behind the what. And then the last part of the coaching program, we're going to transition. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the things. And now I can trust you. You're going to go get the deal done. So tra- training, training, teaching, teaching, transitioning, transitioning, and trusting. And now I can trust you. Now I can trust you. Golly. And I think I've been doing it all wrong, Myron. Brother, we all do it all wrong. That's how we learn how to do it right. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah, I, I guess I would have to consider the people who are now trusting me with their their future or their career or whatever, and I got to train them how to... Become trustworthy themselves. Become trustworthy. Themselves. Not become just, responsible not just... to respond with ability. They can respond to authority with ability. They can respond to truth with ability. They can respond to the things that have to be done, situations. With ability, responsibility means to be able to respond with ability. And most people don't have that. So what they have, the only thing they can do is react because they feel like I'm a victim. Well, you're a victim of your lack of training and your lack of teaching and your lack of transitioning. You are a victim of oftentimes of society's ill doings, but our own ill doings, because the reality is there's enough truth in the world. We can all go seek it out if we care enough. Yeah. Generally speaking, we care more about our comfort than we do about our transformation unless we have some kind of situation that awakens us. Okay. Um, I, I, I do want to get into like the mindset behind building wealth, right? Because I don't think people really understand what it takes to truly, truly build wealth. If you had to kind of give me like the three most important things to building wealth, what would they be? Wow, that's a great question. Um, number one, I would say you have to have a burning desire to be wealthy. You can't just be a, a entrepreneur. You can't just hope for it. You can't just pray for it. Like, you got to have that, like, get rich or die trying. Like, for real, like, I am going to be rich. I am going to be wealthy. How do you develop that, though? Me personally, I... I, I live off of just different philosophies and me personally is like there's a fear that makes me stop and there's a fear that makes me go. I there's a been fear that makes you stop, stop and, and a fear, fear that, that makes, makes you go. go. Okay. So the fear that makes me go is knowing that this can go away. Mm. Like, I mean, let's 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 take the crypto for example, right? I, I looked at my account, account yesterday and it's, it's you know, I, I believe if you can't afford to lose it, don't invest it. Yeah, you know, sure. unless you invest in it yourself, you're never losing, yeah. right? Keep it low, cause you, you know, everybody don't know. You, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, my crypto account, yeah. my Coinbase account. Okay, I got you, got you, got you. You feel me? I thought you saw. Okay. Yeah, 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 I got you. <laughs> and it was down seventy over seventy thousand dollars. So mm. what about the people that really took their last and like I saw it yesterday, just like I don't look at it, and I'm like, oh wow, seventy thousand dollars. What if that was all I had for a business and my job? I remember when my crypto account was like over a quarter of a million dollars. And then yesterday I was like, oh crap, this is crazy. Sheesh. But it was like, that's the fear. It's like, okay, it's go time because you thought it was going to be this. Mm-hmm. But the beautiful thing is I know it's going to grow. Then like, for example, my, my other businesses. And I never told nobody this, but exclusive behind exclusive. the scenes. I believe in having leverage too, right? So I am the top income earner in my company, right? But, um, and I'm happy. I love my multi-level marketing company. But I also know, like, if you go acting crazy or something, 
I got me a couple of other businesses that I could fall back on. Mm. I got my own skincare. I could just mm. take my energy and put it over here. I, I got a CBD company. I could take my energy mm. and put it over mm. here. So number one, I believe in imagination, visualization as well. Number two, number one is burning desire. Hold, hold on, because that is real. Because I've seen a lot of uh, companies, because at the end of the day, it's not your company, right? It's not your company. But And I've seen a lot of companies just go AWOL. They start doing what they want, especially when they start paying you too much. They're like, mm. ooh, try to figure out ways to not pay you. I've seen people, companies take people's check, right? Because, you know, you you think you're an entrepreneur, you built it, and they can take that joint. <laughs> but I like the fact that you said, and I, and I feel like you've probably been in the office once or twice and had to remind them, like, hey, listen. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, not, let's not get it twisted. Yeah, I have. That's major. Yeah, so so I just had to throw that in there. But so becoming a millionaire mindset. So number one, burning desire. Like you have to have a burning desire. Yeah. Um, and most people just have the desire. Yeah. It ain't burning enough. Like I believe in principles. I live a very principle based life. So whenever I'm in doubt, I go down to principles, or I go back to principles. And I mean, I say down. So like I chunk things down. So I believe in like honor thy mother and thy father. Like. I take care of my dad to this day. You know, he's on an allowance. He don't ask me. He know he got his wow. check. At one point, my dad was on a $2,000 a week allowance. Mm. Mm. I took it down now. Jeez. But <laughs> no, so 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 I'm, I'm saying it because I have a burning desire to do that. I can't imagine my dad calling me saying I need $200 and I'm mad and I'm arguing with him because he asked me for $200. And I see people do that. Yeah. I've been with people and they mom or dad calling for $200 and they mad. That is your mama. Mm. That is your daddy. Give your mama or your dad. That should be baked into your bills. Yeah. And they're probably not mad at the fact that they're calling. They're probably mad at the fact that they can't provide it. It's, it's both. They just have programmed their mind to be like, why my mama keep calling me? Like, I'm mm. the only child she called. Okay, well, good. <laughs> but I look at it totally different. So that is honorable to me like it's like I always want you to have to put some respect on my name yeah. so I have a burning desire for that though it's yeah. not a negotiable for me it's not a negotiable that I live freely it's not a negotiable that I get to do what I want when I want yeah. I, I collected a million dollars for a company and they gave me 25 cents and I used to eat lean cuisines and I, I had to carpool with my friend to work Mm. You don't know what I'm talking about. And my water was off back home. I had to go turn it back on with the pliers. Those things made me create the burning desire. I guess with people, they might be in a situation, but it doesn't hurt bad enough for them to do something. They desire to get out of the situation, but because sometimes the job is enough for them to live, it's it doesn't create a burning desire. Does it have to hurt bad enough? Yeah, but it has it? to hurt bad enough. You have to understand the, the, the correlation though. Like, the contrast and you have to be around powerful people like you don't even know and, and I'm gonna save it for later on how much credit card roulette changed my life but I, I did convince myself because I remember feeling that like success is this gated community where you have to like know somebody to let you in I just I just couldn't understand how I was going to become successful. That's why I resonate like with this audience that we're talking to right now so much because they want it. They just don't know what to do next. Well, I, I relate to as well, but I don't relate to excuses. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I have a very, very hard time relating to people that um, I'll give you an idea. Think about this question here. What would you say are the ugliest qualities you've ever met? We all, people have different kind of ugly qualities. Selfishness. Selfishness, okay, so you think selfishness is the ugliest one. I think there's uglier than selfish because I think you're also selfish. I think I'm also selfish. I think our kids are selfish. I think pastors are selfish. I think Michael Jordan, shit, 
he was definitely selfish, yeah. right? And you know, it benefited the people on his team. Yeah. But there is a definition of selfish, right? What else would you say is the obvious? So we obvious selfish quality. is one of them. Um, jealousy. Jealousy. What else? I don't disagree. What um, else? Um, hate. What else? Uh, 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 ugliest quality. So selfish, jealousy, hate. Uh, what else? Um, I don't know what to call Let it. Let me rephrase it. How about unattractive? Where you're like, oh, that, that energy is just very unattractive. Yeah. What would you um, say it is? I really get rubbed the wrong way by like heavy arrogance. Like when someone comes around and talks about themselves as if they are like bigger than everyone else. Um, and yeah, it's negativity. Okay. So I will say for me, unattractive is helpless. Very unattractive. Blame. Very unattractive. Uh, guilt, yeah. putting guilt on others, very unattractive. Um, uh, uh, what else can I tell you? Always feeling sorry, self-pity, super unattractive. I once read a book called Power Versus Force. Mm -hmm. And I read this book 20 years ago, and it talks about the different levels of consciousness, okay? From the lowest to the highest. So level of consciousness, power versus force. I read this book uh, uh, 20 years ago, and he explains the different levels, from the lowest level to the highest one. So right in the middle is when life flips to us actually having power versus we're forcing it. The lowest level of consciousness I think he talks about is apathy or grief, guilt, and those are the lowest level. And then there's desire, there's anger, and anger is the highest of the worst level, meaning like it's actually better than grief, apathy, all of that. Mm -hmm. And then after anger comes courage. Courage is, I have the courage to fail. You have the courage to start a podcast with a quarter million of subscribers and somebody comments and says, David, you suck. I don't like your interview style. <laughs> or you know what, David? I can't believe you had this guest, Patrick B. David on. Why would you do that? Or why would you say capitalism works, you understand how hard life is, that's a risk you're taking when you make a video. Yeah. Some people come after you, you're not gonna get 100% positive comments, but you have the courage to say, look, at least I'm creating something, yeah. right? Then after courage comes neutrality, where you're willing to kind of see both sides, they, I may be off order, but then it goes to acceptance, I'm willing to accept you for who you are. It's totally fine, we're different. Yeah. You're willing to accept me, then it becomes willingness. I'm willing to work with you, then reason. Why don't we reason together? See if we can reason. Mm. So there's these levels all the way at the top is enlightenment, which we're not gonna get to, that's Jesus. He's talking about like people who are extreme high spiritual leaders. Then it's joy, then it's love, then it's happy, okay? So you're working with these levels. For somebody that's, you're saying your friend who was, you know, I don't care if I ever win the lot, I'm still doing the same job. That's what I'm gonna be doing, right? Like, yeah. well, things change later on. You know, people have to just realize and identify for themselves what qualities are ugly. So if, if I'm talking victimhood language always, but you don't understand how I grew up, oh my God, I can guarantee you there's millions of stories of people that had a harder life than you. Yeah that would exchange your problems with you. But you know what I've gone through? You don't know what it was like for me to grow up in LA. You don't know what it was like for me to do this. You know why I know that language very well? Because that was me until 18 years old. 
Till 18. Till 18 years old. when the light switch? Because for me, I grew up in a family where my mother's side, they were communists. My dad's side were imperialists. And my mother's side, they always blamed. And they always were like, but no, we're never going to be rich. I remember one time I was 14 years old. Real quick, imperialist. Communist. Can you explain those? Yes, imperialism is like, uh, you know, like uh, UK, you know, where there's a king, there's a queen. Iran, it was an imperialism. And my mother was more because they escaped from Russia, her family did, so they read Communist Manifesto. So they believe rich people are bad people. They believe rich people are greedy. They believe rich people to take their money and should give it to other people and all this other stuff, right? So I'm this kid growing up and I'm like, oh my God, these rich people suck. And I had an uncle, his name was uh, Luther al Khase, who just passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought this was a bad guy. And I'm like, man, I'd go, I'm like, why, why is this guy such a bad guy? And then every summer, my dad would take me to his house once a year. He lived right next to Snoop in Upland, uh, oh, wow. off of San Antonio. He had a 7,200 square foot uh, square foot house. He always had a blue uh, a Cadillac, the real cool Cadillacs, and a Jaguar. He was a Jaguar guy. Basketball court in the back, swimming pool, mm. nice office, beautiful kitchen that would always be there. And I would say, if he's such a bad guy, why do all his kids love him? <laughs> if he's such a bad guy. Why, why do his in-laws love him? Why do his son-in-law married to his daughter? Why do all these, if he's such a bad guy, why, why is every time I go on Sunday, 50, 60 people there and they're all laughing, having a good time. He's yeah. cooking for people and he was successful. He was this, he was that. So I'm like, I don't know, mom. I don't know if I know this. And I remember one time I came home, I said, mom, are we Democrats or Republicans? I was 14 years old. And the teacher's talking about politics. Mm-hmm. I said, are we Democrats or Republicans? She says, we're Democrats. I said, cool, we're Democrats. I said, can I ask you why we're Democrats? She said, because Democrats are for the poor, Republicans are for the rich. Mm. I said to my mom, you know what I told my mom? What's that? I said, mom, when I grow up, I want to be a Republican. (laughs) Of course. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. I have no clue what Republican means. Right, that's what I mean, money. I'm just sick and tired of being poor and having people constantly feel sorry for me. Do you know when people bring stuff for you for Thanksgiving? They bring it once, thank you, because you're poor. They bring it twice. By the third time, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. It's an unattractive quality. I don't want you to look, you know the look when somebody looks at you with the feeling sorry look? I don't like that look. I don't think people should like that look. I think maybe a little bit for a season that you're going through tough times. But if it's every year, now you're feeding into it. Now you're believing it. Now your kids are starting to believe maybe we are victims. We're not victims. Every level of consciousness comes with a new language. I've always been that type of person to where I never believed in the concept of it's not a word. Everything is a word if you use it and you have a definition behind and an intent that you're expressing. That's dope. Yo, that frees me up because I use words. I'll be coming up with stuff all the time. It yeah. seemed like it fit right there. But if you go look up most words, sometimes it was just because Shakespeare used it, right? Or some aristocrat used it and they wrote that down. That's a new word. They put it in the book. They'll show you the origins. It was first used by some random white guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's essentially what the description is. So I'm like, well, if that's the description and that's the criteria for creating language, how come we can't create our own language? Yo, that's real because there's certain words, let's say twerk, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know when it was a word, but it's recent. Right, yeah. That really gave me some entrepreneurial gems, though, because some of us are like really worried about well, it hasn't been done before, or we shouldn't do it this way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. 
it's, it's to me, I just look at blueprints to success. You understand me? It's like these folks created institutions. That's how they got in power. We need to create institutions. That's how we get in power. They created language. That's how they control the way people think. We create language, control the way we think. They created the calendars, the time systems, the Gregorian and the Julian, the Julian calendar. They controlled and got the world on a one-world system. So now that's literally their time. That they are got people in increments of 60 seconds, 60 minutes. You understand me? A 12-month calendar telling you we need you to work in these increments of time for us. Need you to be here at 9 to 5, which is literally controlling your time. So how do you control your world? Well, do the things that the masters did. That's how you become a master. So did you make, did you have this realization when you quit Prada? I didn't quit. I fired him. When you fired Prada? Yeah. Well, you know, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan was doing the um, anniversary of the Million Man March at the time. What year is this? This was, I, I want to say 2015. Was it 2015? Something like that. Y'all, know, y'all was there? You was there? 2015. So I remember playing it and blasting it. And, you know, I always spoke the way I spoke, even when I was at the job. You understand me? I remember uh, the manager at the job was telling me how he listened to Rush Limbaugh. And I was like, well, I listen to Minister Farrakhan. <laughs> and he was like, maybe we should have political conversations. I said, that'd be right for you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because I realized that the way you go in, that's how you maintain your integrity. A lot of people go in there with their head down. You got to keep your head down. Because one day you come with your head up, they say, you switching. Are you doing too much? So I, I went in there high power. Um, but what was your question? The transition leaving your job. So the transition leaving the job was, anyway, at the 1010 anniversary, I remember the call. And it was, you know, it was, it, it was he needed 10,000 soldiers, 10,000 fearless. You understand me? Um, he talks about doing for self. And that's something I always push. But it's like, am I a hypocrite? Because even though I got what's considered to be a good job, I'm still working for the white man. So how can I consider myself to be a black guy? And I know for a fact that if I can do this amount for them, I know I can do that amount for myself. Mm-hmm. You understand me? So I just decided that, and, and you know, I was the type of person, I kept them on eggshells. I was letting them know I was going to fire them any day now. You understand really? me? So you was like, you always been like this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I worked around an industry of people who are completely 1,000% opposite to me. So I had to go in there in order for me to be comfortable is create my environment, which requires me to make other people uncomfortable. And then it makes it hard to fire somebody that make all the sales too. So. That's exactly what <laughs> it was about. They can't yeah. talk to you crazy. So they, they had a very rigorous process of hiring people and it was hard a process of them firing people. So once I understand the net of value, you understand me, is that what happens when you fire this person, right? Because some people are easier replaceable than others, right? But I understood my value and I always created barriers, you understand me, between them and them closing the gap of my value. Like I need, nope, I'm the only one to talk to this client, that client, that client, that client, whatever it may be. So therefore they know that, well, if we get rid of him, that's going to decrease our sales. You're already not making your sales go. You understand me? So you definitely, what you gonna fire me because, you know what I mean, I, I, I walk in here with a certain type of energy. You understand me? Or, you know, um, I might be late 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. but, but what made you leave? Like, so what was that moment? That was it, was, it was really a jump off the cliff moment. You understand me? Like Steve Harvey talks about, 
And at the time, to be honest, I wasn't prepared financially to even do it. But it was just one day I got dissatisfied. And they say 100% dissatisfaction brings about a change. And I said, man, if I can't be myself, I can't go take the opportunities that I want to take beyond the borders of this workspace, I need to fire them. And I remember Mr. Fab, at the time I had, I was hustling the clothes, right? But I didn't have a storefront. But I put some of my bro, Mr. Fab, he's a rapper out in Oakland. You understand me? Uh, 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 A legend. And he had wore one of my shirts, said, Asalaamu Alaikum on the front. He wore it in a video, I believe it was after the shooting of uh, Castile, I don't want to say the name wrong, but it was after the shooting, the brother got shot 10 times. And he had made a song called 10 Shots and it had, it was on XXL Magazine and all of the different platforms. And some of the ox out in um, Kansas City was like, man, I didn't know you had Muslim gear, things of that nature. So they had ended up flying in town and he was like, nah, I want to buy everything. Like they wanted to spend a couple of thousand dollars worth and just, mm. you know, buy a bunch of inventory. And Fab was like, man, I ain't got enough to supply them. Can you pull up? I happened to be off that day. Mm. You understand me? So I grabbed everything, skirted over there, pulled up, and lo and behold, they bought everything. And that, 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 that brother, man, he really supported me a lot throughout that journey. He ended up buying thousands of dollars and even investing into the business, you know. And I remember just thinking like, and if I was at work, I could never take the opportunities that would allow me to fire the job and go chase the dream. You understand me? So I could not justify being there, you know? And an opportunity had happened where, well, I'm calling it an opportunity. I had gotten into a fight. You know, I'm, I'm outside. At the I'm wearing, job? No, nah, not at the job. Oh. I'm wearing my suit. I'm at um, Oakland. I'm sitting outside this, it's like a lounge area. It's like in the street um, on Telegram. Telegraph, rather, and somebody was bothering me. They told me to move out of seat. So I looked at him like, hey, got to be wilding. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so I said, brother, just, just chill out. I said it just like that, because that's how I usually am. I'm calm in situations. I'm not, you know, overly rowdy. So he proceeds to, to get up, you understand me? And that's when I proceed to utilize my hands in a manner that he ain't like. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and so, lo and behold, um, that was a situation where when I got to the car, I realized I had blood on me. So I'm thinking that's natural because I handled my business. But I realized that I was bleeding a little bit too. You see this scar right here? You understand me? Yeah. I had broke my thumb. So I ended up having to go to the hospital and that allowed me to get a couple of months off of work. I milked it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I realized that they pay you for being off work. I didn't mm. know that they did that. So they paid me part of my commission and my hourly. So I was like, why would I go back right now? Right. But during that time, it gave me the feeling of freedom again. Because I was working that job for a few years. You understand me? So once I got that and I'm able to go hustle and sell, I said, I can never go back to that damn workplace. Man, again. 